The year was 1804 when President Thomas Jefferson sent Meriwether Lewis and William Clark on a great adventure. What we remember today as the core of discovery, Thomas Jefferson's vision was for them to discover a Northwest Passage, a waterway between the Missouri River to the Pacific Ocean, with the intention that this route of commerce would accomplish several purposes for our young nation. It was a hope that it would create an opportunity for national sovereignty as well as for increased commerce. And so it was that Lewis and Clark set off on a two-year mission to reach the Pacific Ocean. In addition to encountering Indian tribes on their way, wild animals, bears, whatever, there were two major problems that hindered their adventure, that hindered their mission. The first, although there were two faulty assumptions that were made by our president as he sent Lewis and Clark on their adventure. The first faulty assumption was the assumption that there existed a Northwest Passage. There did not. There was no consistent connected waterway between the Missouri River and the Pacific Ocean. And as they discovered, it's difficult to canoe over 12,000 foot mountains. The second assumption that they made was also an interesting one and a very logical one. They assumed that the topography west of the Mississippi was identical to the topography in the east. The mountains in the east are small, rounded, we'd call them hills here, but they were small, round-topped mountains. And as they approached the Rockies, 12,000 feet of sharp crags and rocks, it Everything changed. Faulty assumptions hinder successful adventures. And I would suggest to you this morning, as I've suggested over the last month, we are on an adventure, right? We're moving forward. We're hoping to go forward as we plan and prepare for a new pastor to come. We're not going to sit here with the bus in neutral. We're going to move forward. We're looking to create new ministries, new opportunities for service, new opportunities for outreach. We want to become the church that a new pastor will be attracted to and want to be a part of and want to lead. But one of our challenges, as was true with Lewis and Clark, is faulty assumptions. And you see, going forward, we've discovered that many of our assumptions no longer are true. We've had the privilege for 1,700 years of the Christian faith being center of culture. The Christian belief system being central to our world in which we lived. And that has radically changed in what is today being called a post-Christian world. We grew up in a world where the Ten Commandments were on school classroom walls. We grew up in a world where the words, in God we trust, were on our coins. We grew up in a world where the words under God were a part of our Pledge of Allegiance. We even grew up in a world, if you're my age or older, we grew up in a world where you could open your daily newspaper and find suggested Bible readings for the week. That world has changed. Many of those things are no longer true, and the ones that still are true are under attack, right? We are living in a post-Christian world where cities are exercising eminent domain, taking church properties and turning them into tax-producing big-box stores. 
We live in a world where there's no longer a moral consensus based on the truths of Scripture and the belief system that we have embraced for all these years, for all of my lifetime. All of those assumptions are done, over with, and sadly, almost totally gone. Assumptions that we have believed were true no longer exist. That's not only true in our culture, but I've discovered just recently again, been reminded that it's also true in many of our churches. Ligonier Ministries, founded several years ago by R.C. Sproul, recently released the results of a survey that they did among quote-unquote evangelical Christians. The results of their survey said this, 31% say science disproves the Bible. 33% say gender is a choice. 38% say Jesus was not God. 62% say God accepts all religions. 62% say the Holy Spirit is a force. 66% say people are good by nature. 75% say God created Jesus. Again, all the assumptions that we hold true, all the assumptions that we believe and accept are changing. And we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard in the world and the culture in which we live. I gathered with a group of our pastors here in Southern California this last week, and one of the conversations we shared was the fact that 35% of pastors in America today are looking actively for another career choice. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. A survey by George Barn and his organization says that one out of five Protestant churches will close in the next 18 months. You see, we're living in a very, very different world. We're like Lewis and Clark taking off from the East Coast, headed to the Pacific Ocean, making all these great assumptions that weren't true. And so I think as we're, we're on this adventure and we're going forward, trusting God to lead us, I, I want to ask the question again, are you ready for an adventure? Are you ready to come along? Because lots of things have changed. And that's why it's important as we look at the life of Joshua again this morning, that we find in his model, in his example, things that we can grab a hold of, things that we can hang on to, things that we can anchor our lives and our souls, our hearts and our minds to. So let me remind you again of these great words in the opening chapter of the book of Joshua. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Just as I spoke to Moses from the wilderness from this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. You do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so this morning, we need to understand that we as God's people going forward, a time of transition, as I've suggested over the last couple of weeks, a time of change and a time of challenge, we need to be prepared to make some important decisions. And that's why this morning, I look at the words in Joshua chapter 1 and I believe that God is calling us to a time not only of change and challenge, but a time of choice. There's some decisions that we need to choose to make. Just as it was true for Joshua, so it's true for us this morning, that we need to choose to trust our God completely and fully. I read the challenge that God gave to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. And I listened to those words and I realized they're repeated three times in these nine verses. Three times. And if I go back into the book of Deuteronomy, as I've been reading through Deuteronomy this last week, I discovered in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, these same words Moses gave to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. And it's fascinating to me because when you and I think of strong and strength, we think of muscles and might and power. And this Hebrew word translated here, be strong, literally is to fasten upon something, to seize something, to grab a hold of something and hang on. And I was struck as Maggie was introducing the first song, that's exactly what she called us to do this morning. Grab a hold of the Lord and hang on. That's where our strength is going to be. It's not going to be in our great wisdom, our great giftedness, our great talent, our strength is found as we grab a hold of the Lord. Seize Him and hang on. Be strong and courageous. And that word courageous has the idea of alertness. Being on the alert, awake, not asleep, aware. Be strong and courageous as we go forward. That's that's God's challenge to us. And that challenge is that we would trust Him fully and completely. You and I serve a sovereign God, right? He's in charge. He's in control. He's working all things after the counsel of his own will. There's a part that God plays as a sovereign God, but there's also a part that you and I play. If you find yourself unemployed, you ought to pray, right? You ought to beseech God that he will open doors of opportunity, that he would lead you to places where you can find employment. But once you pray, that doesn't mean you sit back on the easy chair watching Netflix with a bowl of popcorn. It means what? Go to work. Your new full-time job is resumes, knocking on doors. God has his part. We have our part. And so as I read Joshua chapter 1, God's part is what? I'm going to give you every place the sole of your foot lands. I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to cause that no man will able be, be able to stand before you. And just as I was with Moses, I'm going to go with you. What was Joshua's part? Get up and get going. 
Cross that river. Go into the land. And so it's the same thing true for, for us going forward. It's true personally in our lives individually. And it's true for us collectively as a group, as a church. Trust the Lord. And I think a great passage is a scripture on faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Be knowing Him. Get to know Him better. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. There's God's promise. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so the first challenge for us, the first choice we need to make is to trust God fully. The second choice we need to make, the same choice that Joshua had to make, is not only to trust God, but to obey Him. To do what God says to do. And twice in these verses, you find that expression where God is saying to Joshua that he is to be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So God's ambition, God's heart for us, is that we would be obedient to his words and to his will, right? That's always been the case. And it's fascinating that here in this passage in verse 8, we find these words. That these, these words shall not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night. And, you know, I have a confession to make. Verse 8 was the core verse around which I wrote my master's thesis in 1975. That was a lifetime ago, wow. And I wrote my master's thesis on the theme of biblical meditation. And this verse was the core verse. I studied this verse and all the passages in the Bible that talk about meditation, but I kept coming back to this passage. And... It wasn't until almost the very end of my writing, my study, my producing of that thesis that I finally came to understand the heart and soul of what this passage says. Because it's easy to come to this verse and read the words meditate day and night, success and prosperity, and put those two things together and assume that if I'm meditating on the scriptures, I'm going to experience God's prosperity and success in my life. And that's not what the verse says. There's a logical sequence here that ends with success, prosperity. They don't think of prosperity as, you know, money and houses and Lamborghinis, right? We're talking God's hand of blessing, prosperity and success. That's the end. And the beginning is meditating on the scriptures. But what is it that links those two together? Do according to all the law which I gave to Moses. That's the whole focus of the passage, our obedience. And I wish I had time this morning to unpack this whole concept of meditation. Because there is so much here in this word. So much here in the importance of what it says to us about our walk with the Lord. When we think of the word meditation, we correctly think to ponder, to think, to consider, to reflect on. Interestingly, the Hebrew word has a root idea of moaning, 
uttering. It has a verbalization part to it. It's used of the the cooing of doves, the roar of a lion. It's used of the moaning of someone who is bereaved and expressing sorrow over someone who's passed away. There's a verbalizing side to meditation. We have a word in the English language that uh, would be a synonym. It would mean the same thing as meditation. It's the word muse, M-U-S-E, to muse upon something, to meditate on something. The challenge in the culture in which you and I live is we live in a world that honors the exact opposite of musing. And that word would be what? A muse. We live in a world that exalts amusement. We live in a world where we invest hours of our time every week in amusement. We amuse ourselves with our cell phones whether it's games on our cell phones or Facebook or whatever. We amuse ourselves with sporting events. We amuse ourselves with places called amusement parks. There you go. We live in a world and a culture where amusement is such a huge part of our lives. And the word amusement, the word to amuse, is exactly the opposite of the word muse. To amuse is not think. Not ponder, not meditate. And so we live in a world where people don't spend much time thinking, meditating, pondering. And God says to Joshua, don't let these words depart out of your mouth. Meditate on them. How often? Day and night. And so I believe that one of the keys to obedience is meditating on the scriptures. If there's an area of your life where you struggle to obey the Lord Jesus, one of the things that ought to become a practical step of application in your life is to find passages of Scripture that speak to that issue, whether it's a habit, whether it's a thought process, whether it's a behavior in your life. Find Scripture that speaks to that and invest time meditating. Memorize a passage. Think about the passage. Ponder what it means. And I I wish I had time to develop that further. Meditating on the scriptures. Psalm 1 says it this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but, what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Same exact thing that we find here in Joshua chapter 1. We need to be people who make the choice that we're going to trust God and we're going to obey God. No matter what. We're going to trust Him and obey Him. James said it best in James one twenty two, didn't he? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, lest you do what? Deceive yourselves. We need to be men and women. We need to be a church obeying God, doing what he wants us to do. Discovering what he wants and then doing it. So we need to choose this morning to trust God. We need to choose this morning to obey God. And then the third thought that impresses me here is we need to choose this morning also to follow our God. 
fully, completely, and totally. God says to Joshua here in verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God had given a command to Joshua. When God gives commands, what's his expectation? It obey, do what he says. That's why my son tells me in the Navy, hey, Dad, they're not suggestions, they're orders. You know, and God has given to us, just like he's given to Joshua this charge, this command, arise and cross. He's given us a charge also, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. We, too, have a charge. And again, the words, be strong and courageous. And he says, don't tremble. Don't be in dread. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. And that word dismayed means to be broken down, to lie prostrate. And oftentimes the circumstances of life cause us to tremble, to be afraid. Sometimes the goals that we set before us, the challenges that are before us, cause us to be afraid, to doubt, to question. And God says to Joshua, and he's saying to us this morning, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Don't be broken down. Be strong and courageous. And I found myself thinking about why does God have to repeat to Joshua three times? Be strong and courageous. Why did Moses in the book of Deuteronomy use those exact same words to Joshua? Why is it that five times God himself or God through Moses says to Joshua, be strong and courageous? Now, any parent of a young child will know the answer to this question. When you find yourself repeating yourself five times to your child, why are you doing that? Because your child is not doing what you asked him to do. Or, I think... What this suggests to me is Joshua was timid. Joshua was fearful. And I found myself thinking, you know, if I was in his shoes, I would be too, wouldn't you? Following Moses, the task of leading the stubborn, obstinate, disobedient group of people, trusting God that you're going to cross that river and go into a hostile climate, a hostile environment, filled with warrior nations that you're supposed to defeat and move out. I think Joshua was fearful. I think Joshua was insecure. I think Joshua was unsure of himself. And God says to him three times, be strong and courageous and circle back. That word be strong means what? Fasten on to, grab a hold of, seize. That's what Joshua needed in his life. And I believe this morning it's exactly what you and I need to hear. God has called us on an adventure. We're going to move forward the best we know how. We're going to move forward together. Our search committee is going to meet today for the first time. We're going to be preparing some surveys, asking you to help us think through some issues about our church, 
think through some issues about the kind of pastor we want to have come, we're going to involve you in the process. Going forward, God has called us on an adventure. And we are in this together. And together we need to choose to trust, to obey, and to follow the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I identify with Joshua a little bit. Um, there's some days when I feel a little overwhelmed by the task that you've placed in my hands. There's days when I feel a little insecure about what you're expecting out of me. Um, I find myself not necessarily trembling, but I could be a little dismayed, broken, you know. Um, I understand that. And even as a group, individually or collectively, it's easy for us to be fearful, to be timid, to doubt, to wonder. And God's message to us this morning is what? Be strong and courageous. Trust me. Trust me fully. Trust me completely. Obey me and follow me. And if we can do that well, I believe God is going to lead us and we're going to wind up exactly where he wants us to be. It's not going to be next week or next month, unfortunately. But down the road, 6, 12 months, I don't know. God's going to lead us. I believe that firmly. And we, we may find ourselves feeling a little insecure, a little unsure, a little bit like Joshua. And God is calling us to choose, to trust, to obey, and to follow. That's what God wants. That we would abandon our own wishes, our own desires, our own ambitions, our plans, our agendas. And our single agenda would be, God, what do you want? Lord Jesus, what is it that you want? For us as a church, for us going forward, what is it that Jesus wants? That needs to be our focus, to trust him, to obey him, and to follow him. We need to do that well. You know, all of life is affected by choices. What you experience as an adult in your life will be the result and the consequence of choices you made in those middle youth years, for the most part. And even in the process of growing up as an adult, choices you make along the way will determine where you wind up. Choices way too often determine outcomes. And so it's important that we make good choices. Do you remember the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? I've always loved that. That I guess it's not right at the end, but pretty close to the end, where Harrison Ford in the role of Indiana Jones is presented with a table filled with different goblets. And he's to choose one goblet off of that table, and it's a life or death choice. And he reaches out and picks up a very simple wooden goblet. Thinking of Jesus the carpenter and wood and whatever. And he chooses that goblet. And the guardian says what to him? You've chosen wisely. And I would love to hear God say to us, Grace Norwalk, you've chosen wisely. Ten-year-old Mark 
lost his left arm in an automobile accident at the age of 10. And yet, in spite of that limitation, in spite of that handicap, Mark wanted to learn judo. And so his parents, trying to encourage him and help him in this time in his life, signed him up with a a very elderly judo master in their local community. And Mark began, began taking judo lessons. And at the end of three months, the judo master had taught him only one move. And Mark questioned the judo master about this. Shouldn't I be learning other moves? And the judo master said to him very patiently, Mark, you, you will only need this one move. And so Mark continued to train, continued to learn, continued to practice one move. And then he was entered into a judo competition, a state tournament. And his first match went really well, quickly over. He won that one. His second match went really, really well. He won that one. His third match was a little more difficult, a little bigger opponent. But that opponent made a mistake and charged at Mark. And Mark was able to use his one move and take him down. He's finally in the finals, the championship round. And in that championship round, he encounters an opponent who's bigger, stronger, more experienced. And as the match begins, Mark is evidencing a lack of confidence. Mark is evidencing an uncertainty. And because of that, and because of his limitation without a left arm, the referee became concerned and stepped into the match with the intention of stopping the match. At that point, the judo master stood up and said, let the boy continue. And so the referee stepped away and the match continued. With this bigger, stronger, more experienced opponent, Mark finally found confidence because of his judo master stepping in and saying, let him continue. And in the midst of that, this opponent dropped his guard and Mark took him down and pinned him and won the tournament. Afterwards, Mark was thinking about his matches at the tournament and thinking about all that had happened and his success. And he got up his confidence to go ask the judo master. And he said, I don't understand. How is it that I won this tournament knowing only one move? And the judo master said, Mark, you won the tournament for two reasons. First, you have almost mastered one of the most difficult moves in all of judo. Secondly, the only known defense against that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. And so sometimes it's true that in times of greatest weakness, you can find great strength. And so our one move going forward, needs to be the move of choosing to trust the Lord, obey Him, and follow Him. And so I'm asking you this morning, individually, are you ready for this challenge? Are you ready for this adventure? Are you ready to go forward choosing to trust the Lord fully, to obey Him completely, and then follow fully as well? We need to do that individually, and we need to do it together.
collectively going forward. And Lord, you know that's been my prayer, that we would do that. That we would do that well. That in this time of transition, this time of change, this time of challenge, that we would make good choices. And that, Lord, we would recognize that we are not in this alone. Yes, we're together. We're together as the members of this body. We're together as members of this congregation. But we're together, most importantly, because you are with us. Just as you were with Moses, just as you were with Joshua, so you're with us. You're going forward with us. You're going to lead us. You're going to guide us. You're going to direct us. And so, Lord, we choose this morning to trust you, to trust you the best we know how. All that we have, all that we are, we trust you. We choose this morning to obey you. Lord, help us in those areas where we struggle to obey. Help us in those areas where we find it difficult to obey. Make us even aware of those areas in our life where we're not even conscious that we're not obeying. Lord, we look to you. Help us to trust. Help us to obey. And then, Lord, our commitment this morning is to follow you fully, completely. As you lead, we will follow. And, Lord, it's long been my conviction that you desire to lead us far more than we desire to follow. And so my prayer is that you would speak into our lives, into our hearts, into our desires, as we choose to follow you into this unknown future, into this future where our assumptions, our expectations are all changing, are all in flux. Without you, we're in deep trouble. And so, Lord, we choose this morning to follow you. To follow you with excited expectation of what you have ahead for us. We choose together, Lord, to be the men and women of God you call us to be. To choose to be the church that you want us to be in this community. And in this world, that you might be honored, you might be glorified in this place because of the choices that we make together. And we make these choices freely, openly, honestly because of Jesus, because of what he did for us on the cross, because you've loved us, forgiven us, pardoned us, given us new life, given us hope beyond this life. It's in the name of our Savior Jesus that we ask all of these things. Amen. And in honor of Grandparents' Day all the grandparents out there including myself that's why I'm wearing my Mimi shirt my favorite people call me Mimi one of the greatest gifts you can give your grandchildren is teaching them about Jesus and so let's just make sure that grandparents parents aunts uncles friends neighbors make sure you share that love with Jesus that you have for Jesus with other people today and the rest of the week
Joshua who said those great words, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Make that your ambition, your heart going into the week ahead. And as you do that, I believe that God wants to do some great stuff for you and for us as a church. Have a great week.